story about the paralyzed man being healed. Uh, and this week and next week, we're just going to wrestle with this um, uh, word, bringing. It will come up on the screen in a few minutes. Uh, but uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 1, says these words. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. The greatest preacher that ever lived was Jesus. And he preached the word. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him, in, uh, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mats the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, their faith, we'll look at that next week, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law, we could put their friends, those that carried a religious spirit, were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts and said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth, delegated authority from heaven, to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this before. Bring him. And this is where we're going to be for the next two Sunday mornings in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. Uh, a story that I'm sure is familiar even to younger Christians uh, as you be, perhaps began to read the Gospels. And going back to what we've been encouraging over the last few weeks, if you're not sure where to start, start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the stories of Jesus. If you want to find out what God's like, read the Gospels. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And when Christians praying for healing this morning, it's because that's the heart of God. He loves to heal. He loves to minister. He loves to set people free. And so we thank God that the Arena Church is a church where people are invited to. And please hear the heart of the message. We're not saying this isn't happening. But we just want to increasingly stir the waters of the bringing culture in the life of the church. And six weeks on Wednesday, somebody tells me that it's the 25th of December and it's Christmas Day. And, uh, you know... Some of you got all your presents wrapped up and your sellotape done and your things on. I know all that. We've not even started. You know, so if you feel like that, then that's okay. But it's a great season of the year and it's a great opportunity for us to be bringers. Because the reality is, friends, that despite all the challenges with regard to faith in our nation, the faith, the gospel, um, the interesting thing, the paradoxical thing, the contradictory thing is that attendances at Christmas services in recent years have gone through the roof. They've gone upwards. You talk to people that um, uh, minister out of the Anglican church and they'll confirm that. It's a strange thing that's taking place. It reflects something of what's happening in society. And of course, the BBC did this survey some couple of years ago now where they asked people about church and surprisingly, not everybody pushed back on church. In fact, some people said they would come to church all that they were waiting for is to be asked. That's all they're waiting for. 
And so sometimes we sow it into our mind. Even the enemy, the little accusing voice, sows into our mind. No good asking that bloke at work to come to church. Not a chance. When all he's waiting for is used to say, how would you like to come? You see, yeah, I'd love to. I'm bringing my wife and kids as well. The whole thing begins to snowball. A bringing culture. Now, we clearly understand in Arena Church that there's a going. There's a going. And uh, if you like, a missional expression of the life of the church. Mission goes. Mission sent. The apostolic, where people get themselves all wrapped up in knots, is simply, friends, a sense of sentness. That's simply what it means. An apostle simply a sent one. There's no capital A apostles in the New Testament. It's not a badge of honor that says you're a better leader than somebody else. I don't know where we're going with all that. And I better move on quickly because I can sense myself wanting to ride a hobby horse. But the reality is as well that there's also a coming. There's also a bringing. You see, missional church is fantastic. You've said, heard me say before, but I'll say it again. Sometimes we've been accused in Arena Church of only being bothered about Sunday. Couldn't be further from the truth. And really, friends, with respect, if you think that, you really aren't listening very well. This is all about tomorrow. It's about your office, your factory, your place of influence. It's fueling the salt and light that's to pour out of our lives that brings illumination and influence into the context of calling that God has placed us. See, as someone else says, there's a sense where we're all full-time ministers. And you may not feel a call to vocational Christian ministry, but as a Christian, you're a full-time 24-7 one, and you can make a difference in your world. There's a going. We absolutely believe that. But there's a bringing. There's a coming too. And there's something that happens when we come together that doesn't happen anywhere else. I was talking to a friend of mine, a colleague of mine that is an Indian pastor that ministers in the West Midlands, Wesley Lucos, a more gentle, godly, spiritual man you'll really find hard to find. He's just a beautiful brother. And Wesley's got an engineering background. He's got about four or five degrees. Not going to have a business card because he can't fit them all on, you know. But he's beautiful. Carries a great spirit of humility. And, and uh, I was talking to Wesley some time ago. He says, you see, we were talking about missional attractional, you know, the age-old debate of going and coming. He says, well, Philly, it's sort of like if I can use my engineering background, because we've all heard about centrifugal force, and centrifugal force pushes away. But he says, what about centripetal force? That pulls too. And he says, it's got to be both. You see, so we have to have a coming to, in order that there might be a pushing where the church has gone wrong sometimes in the past is it's all, all been about coming to. Great meetings, holy clubs, people sort of just getting involved in themselves. And again, we'll come to that a little later, but if you start to drive that down, it becomes a parody of what church is meant to be. Because that's when you get somebody sitting in your seat that didn't know it was your seat, and you saying, that's my seat. And they're thinking, if that's your attitude, I'm not coming to this church anymore. See, that's when we lose it. But when we realize that we come together for a purpose of being sent out, a drawing to that we might push away, then church should be and is vibrant and blessed and purposeful. As I've already said, there are things that happen in church that don't happen anywhere else. Truth is taught. Faith is built up. Focus is given. Family to belong to. As one preacher says, he says, this is what church gives. Church gives a purpose to live for, a people to live with, Principles to live by, profession to live out, and power to live on. Well, there's a message all on its own. And the reality is, friends, that we want to encourage people not only to go, but to bring. 
to realize that God's got something to do when we come together in his name. Now, in verse um, 1 of uh, Mark chapter 2, it says that when people heard that he had come home, they gathered in a great crowd. In the New King James Version, which is what I really like, it says, when they heard that Jesus was in the house. When they heard that Jesus was in the house, they gathered as a great crowd. And before we talk next week about some of the practical principles of bringing, I want to ask a question, which is where we're going to spend the next few minutes. Is there anything worth bringing people to? That's the first question. The question to Arena Church, if we're going to bring people, is there anything worth bringing people to? And let me answer it a little bit, and then I'll try and openly talk. Frankly, friends, if Jesus isn't in the house, the answer is no. The crowd gathered when they heard that Jesus was in the house. What are you saying, Phil? Are you saying that we can have a church and Jesus isn't present? Absolutely, and I'll prove it. Revelation chapter 3, the final church of the seven in Laodicea. Oh, did they think they got it all nailed down? In fact, the smugness was overwhelming. They were saying, we've done this, we've done that, we've done the other. Everything's in place. And Jesus came with a searing word through the apostle John. He said, actually, I'd like to say something. Number one, you're so lukewarm that you're actually causing me to feel nauseous. Indifference, you're deluded, you're deceived. Someone says that indifference always pushes back on the invading presence of Jesus, and it always does. And it goes further than that because Jesus says, can I come back into your church, please? Verse 20. I know it's been preached as a gospel verse, and in the genius of God, people have got saved. So I'm not moaning about that, but it's a verse to the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will let me come in, I will come in and heat with him and he with me. Laodicea in church, can I come back in? Because your smugness, your indifference, your apathy, your arrogance has caused me to be on the outside of the church. And it's a question, friends, and a challenge that every church must continue to face up to. You see, they were living on the reputation of the past. In my where am I other at in terms of the central area? <clears throat> We've got some fantastic churches all across the Midlands area. Brilliant. Met two leaders this week. They've repurposed church over the last 12 months. Fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. One of them walked into an absolute car crash of a church. Now they're having to go to multiple services. Within 14 months of him going there. Brilliant. Brilliant. The other one, oh, man of faith. I was thinking, oh, this guy's got a task on. Don't know how he's going to do it. He's doing it. He's doing it. The church has increased by 50% on a Sunday morning in 12 months. Brilliant. But the other question, friends, sometimes is I go into churches and I have to ask this awkward question. Is the past of this church going to be greater than its future? Is the past of the church going to be greater than its future? Are there churches, friends, that rely on their past? I want to say we honor our past. And if you've Listen carefully to us. Even in recent years, we've tried very deliberately to honor the past. There's been some expression of Pentecostal witness in the town of Ilkeston since 1929. We honor the past. 
We have the privilege of living in the present and going into the future on the basis of the past. But we will not be defined by the past. We will not live there. We will not stay there. We will not regale in the past. Because if we do that too much, Jesus is going to say, I don't know whether you realize, but you bolted me out as well. And I'd like to come back in. See, I think there are churches, friends, trying to get people to come to church today, and he's not even there. And then they wonder why nobody's coming. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, makes all the difference to what we would call church. I made a brief reference last Sunday night at Mansfield to a movement that's taking place across the world at this time. Where people are doing church. The only thing is they're not Christians. They don't believe in God. In fact, they vehemently don't believe in God. It's called the Sunday Assembly. It was started in January 2013 this year by two comedians in London. And now there are 35 cities across the world that have a Sunday Assembly. They come together, friends, and they sing songs. They come together because they like coming together. They come together to hear an overcoming story. They come together and say, isn't that fantastic? Some of the songs they sing are not Christian songs. They're songs like by Abba and Queen and people like that. Don't worry, we're not going to finish with we are the, you are the champions. Okay, so it's... Because it's, it's, nobody can ever hit that note anyway, so what's the point? So, um, they come together to celebrate life and they come together to do life together. Don't have time to go there this morning. It's a fascinating expression of postmodern culture where people put themselves in charge, where they become Lord and not Jesus. Interestingly as well, they've also created 10 virtues to live by. Fascinating, isn't it? I say all this, they've also put a half million pound appeal out to build an online platform to perpetuate and expand what they're doing. I say all this because what is the difference between them and us? I suggest that they're pretty ordinary people like us in many respects. They go to work, they go to the office, they go to the hospital, they go to the factory. They've got kids to, to, uh, to, to raise. They've got to navigate this 10% rise in fuel bills during the winter and wondering whether we're going to knock the eating down a little bit. They've got all those things going on. They realize, friends, that Christmas is coming soon. They've not sorted any presents out. All the things that affect life, what makes the difference? And the only thing that makes the difference fundamentally is Jesus if Jesus isn't in the house, friends, we're just like them even worse. Because they're not even pretending to come under the banner of Jesus. They're just regaling in what they've done in themselves. And the Holy Spirit, friends, is in the earth today as the third person of the Godhead to make Jesus real in the house. He really is. Jesus said, I'm going physically, bodily, back to the Father. But don't worry, I'm going to send one that will come and stand alongside. And he will reveal me to the world and the Holy Spirit is in this room today that's why we pray when Christian leaders in prayer in, in, in uh, before the service starts we're inviting the Spirit of God to come can't see him he can't be contained he can't be put in the box and we invite the Spirit of God to come to make the Lord Jesus Christ real in the house and without him we haven't got a church I was listening to my friend David Hine preach on Thursday night great message from Philippians 3 at one of our zone events in Birmingham great night and David was saying that uh, he put up uh, uh, 10 visional statements that they began the year with in, in uh, Trinity Life Church in um, Leicester. And he says, we're in a process of just looking at some of those things and saying, how are we done? But the first one at the top was that they, one of their visional aspirations for this year would be that Jesus would be at the center of everything that they do. They've got a fantastic community project that relates to over 220 agencies in the city of Leicester. 
The church is growing. It expresses itself. The kingdom's spilling out. But in it all, it was that Jesus was at the center of all that they would do. And I want to say, friends, that I suggest that's the heartbeat of Arena as well. You see, because we do think a lot about, for instance, how we do church. We look at the practicals. So we want good car parking. And don't ever, you don't have to do it every week, perhaps, but say thank you to Hank and the guys downstairs for sorting all that out. We have great welcome in the church. We, we talk to people in terms of how to do things. So with respect to that uh, song that we sing with the line in it, we're not asking people to give folks a sloppy wet kiss when they come in on the door. Because <clears throat> it's probably not going to work. We want them to be welcome. We allow people who've never been to Arena Church before room and space to absorb and, ob- absorb and observe all that's taking place. I have to say, I'm not really spoken to Christian about this. I never get it when I've gone to a church. And within 10 minutes, the, the, who's, who's never been before? Who's here for the first? Stand up. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm in the office. I've been talking to this bloke for weeks. He's been opening up. And all of a sudden I said, well, would you like to come to Arena Church? Yeah, I'm coming. I'm coming. So he comes on Sunday morning. Within 10 minutes of coming to something he's never been before, he stood up with somebody giving him some paper and 200 people gawking at him. It would totally freak me out. You know, we think about that, so we don't do it. We don't do it. So we think about lots of things practically. And if you're new to church, then we want you to go on that journey of absorbing all that the Lord wants to do. We think about teas and coffees and kids ministry and publicity and communication and screens. Practical things, but never at the expense of the spiritual. If I can say it without sounding weird, friends, we're spiritual people. We're body, soul, and spirit, and we realize until God makes us alive on the inside, the Bible calls it regeneration, quickened in our spirits, then we're going nowhere. It is just a gathering. It is just a group of people coming together. But there's a spiritual dimension to the Christian church where the Holy Spirit makes Jesus, who's in the house, real, and people are drawn to him. And we want to get the practicals right, but we also want to give room for God to speak and do what he wants to do. You see, if you're going to be a bringer, you don't have to work out how they're going to get saved. Aren't you glad that's not your job? Some of us think it's our job to get people saved. We've got to work it all out. We've got to have an answer for every question. No, all you've got to do is bring. Then let God do it. Let God do it. It may take some weeks, some months, but let God do what he's going to do. The Bible says in John's gospel that it's the spirit of God's work to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. Not ours. All that we've got to make sure is that Jesus is in the house by the power of his spirit because he will do that. He will do that to people. He will speak to people. How many of you can remember when you went on the Christian journey that you walked into church and it was like God was just speaking to you? It was like he was opening up your world and your life. That's conviction. That's God doing what only he can do to draw you to himself. So we want to bring people with a confidence that we're thinking clearly about the practicals, but also a passionate about Jesus being exalted to draw people to himself. And in the closing moments of uh, the messaging, it might help if I turn my watch the right way up so we know that it is 20 to 12. I want to give you five hallmarks, very briefly, five hallmarks of Jesus being in the house. 
Five things that I believe happen from this story that happen every time Jesus is in the house. Number one, congregation. It's an old-fashioned word, but it means a crowd. That's what it means. Verse two, the crowd came. One translation says the people came in large numbers. There was no room left, not even outside the door. They were spilling onto the street because Jesus was in the house. Jesus in the gospel gathered crowds often, regularly. And we could go to many stories. I mean, he had all sorts of issues. What about the 5,000 men? Probably 20, 25,000 people. And no food. Apart from the little lad that gave everything. When we give everything, watch out what Jesus can do with what our little something that's given with the spirit of everything. He can bring a miracle. He likes crowds. He's into crowds. And Jesus sees crowds. That's why leaders with vision friends always see crowds. It's the heart of the Lord. And we need to be careful in our attitude as church and our confession that we don't push back at what is at the heart of Jesus. So, for example, I don't like crowds. Well, he does. I like small. He doesn't. Now, we understand, friends, that we've got to create increasingly. We're on a journey with this. Paul's helping us, amongst others. It's how we do small in big which is a challenge. But we're not doing small in small. We're not going there. We're doing small in big. We understand, friends, the need for intimacy of groups and connections and all those things. Be careful that you don't push back on crowds by saying, I don't know everybody in the church. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Because the sociologists have proved that if you say, I don't know everybody in the church and that's a bad thing, you're going to put a lid on the church of about 70 people. Because it's impossible for you to relate beyond those numbers with any sort of effectiveness. We have churches, friends, where Jesus says, I'm off to the next church because this lot aren't bothered about a crowd. Because all they want to do is know each other's business. I'm moving on somewhere else. He's gone. And what about, well, you know, we used to all get a visit from the pastor. If that's your confession, then the lid on the church, maximum, and you'll probably send him to an early grave, is about 120 people. Racing around every month, ticking off the boxes to make sure he's seen everybody, being controlled by people that says, if I don't get a visit, I'm not coming. Jesus is gone. He says, I'm not going there. I'm off. I'm going somewhere else where they want a crowd. Congregation. We understand, friends, the power and blessing of small, but always in the context of big. You see, where you've got churches at 8 and 10 and 12 people, and please hear me, I'm saying this very respectfully, not dismissively, because I've preached to three. And by the way, if you want to preach to 3,000, you're going to get tested. You're going to get a three. You're going to get a three. You're going to get it more than once. If you keep failing the test, forget 3,000. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But churches, friends, we're 8, 10, 15 people, and it becomes a self-perpetuating problem. Because they become conscious they've not got a crowd, so they lose confidence in bringing, so they don't ask anybody, so the crowd, 10, 12, 15 people, in quotes, gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And then what about the people? I've met some people, beautiful people, that have said words like, well, you know, I'm just being faithful to what God's called me to do. The church is falling around them. They're turning up every week. They're killing themselves physically. 
They're opening the doors. They're putting the boiler on. They're doing this. They're doing that. Seven people come to the church and they're asking me what they ought to do. What you ought to do is find a crowd. That's what you ought to do. You see, friends, the spiritual battle is so immense in the heavenlies. You heard Christian talk about it this morning, affecting the heavenlies. We're not going to do it with a small group. We're going to do it with a crowd. We're going to do it, friends, where Christians come together to take grounds in communities for the glory of God. So that whatever he throws at us, we're going to keep standing. So that one of, when one of us feels a, a bit sort of impaired or maybe is carrying a wound, somebody else rises up and says, I'll take the battle on. And Jesus, friends, is into crowds. He really, really is. The Bible says that God wants all people to be saved. And whatever your theology is, leave that with him, okay? Because he wants all people to be saved. You know, people have dug over this and dug over this and dug There'd even be churches, friends, that are pushing back on the culture of bringing to the church because in the sovereignty of God, if God wants those people to come, they'll come anyway. It's nonsense. God can use you, friends, in his sovereignty to bring somebody. Somebody prayed for me. Somebody told me. Somebody shared with me. And in his sovereignty, he brought me to himself. Don't you be sovereign. Let him be sovereign. You be a vessel in his hands. He wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And he looks for the, co- the cooperation of churches with the divine intention to say, I'm going to be a bringer. I say it respectfully. There may be even somebody in the church this morning that's coming with a friend. You're being faithful in five or six. Please, find a crowd. Find some people that can encourage you, lift you, bless you, share the load with you. It'll make an amazing difference to your journey. Briefly, not only congregation, but communication. Because he goes on to say that Jesus preached the word to them. What's the definition of preaching? It means to publicly proclaim or announce news of something. One who delivers a message with authority. And the word preach has become a bit scarred in recent times because we get all these angry guys on the front of papers that have been sent to court while he was a preacher. But friends, that's not the, 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 the essence of preaching. The, the essence of preaching is to declare publicly the good news. And we have the most amazing good news in all of the universe that Jesus Christ invaded the world, yes, as a baby, but came and, and lived a perfect life and stood between us and God, the great unbridgeable gap, and died upon a cross and rose the third day that we might have life eternal. And we believe, friends, in communication. Jesus was a preacher. We believe in preaching and teaching the church. And I want to tell you, friends, that I'm not here just to give information about God. We understand in some, con- some of the teaching context we do midweek that we give a backdrop to it at times and paint pictures. But I don't want preachers just talking to me about God. I want them to confront me with God. I want to believe, friends, that people will be changed this morning in Jesus' name. That there will be something that you've never seen before. That there will be something be ignited in your heart through the communication of the word that changes us forever. John Wesley, John Wesley says, preachers should invite, offer, and convince of Christ. And God has entrusted that communication gift to servants of the church today. And where Jesus is in the house, there's good communication. Not preachers talking about themselves, but drawing people to him. Thirdly, revelation. Because in verse 8, Jesus knew what those people were thinking. Read the Gospels carefully and you'll find that Jesus was continually confronted with the religious spirit. The religious spirit may not exercise itself today through Pharisees and Sadducees, but I want to tell you, friends, it's alive and well. It's alive and well. 
Boy, have I had some contests with the religious spirit. Woo! And when Jesus was speaking to the man and beginning to open up his heart and saying that his sins were forgiven, they said, who's this guy I think he is? Pretending with their fake spirituality that they were looking to God who was the only one that could save from sins and completely missing the point. And Jesus, by revelation, friends, knew what they were thinking. It's called a word of knowledge. The Bible talks in the gifts of the Spirit about a a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge is simply a fragment of the revelation of God's mind because he knows everything. He knows everything about you and he knows everything about me. And he began to speak. He says, I know what you're talking about. Remember John chapter 4 when he met the lady at the well, Samaria. He says, well, the, the guy that's with me at the moment is not my husband. Jesus says, yeah, I know he is. Boom, 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 boom. By word of knowledge. She says, who is this person that opens up my heart? And she was the precursor to the revival that we read about in Acts 8 through Philip. Amazing. Revelation in the house when Jesus is there. And we need more revelatory preaching. What do I mean by that? I talk to the preachers. I encourage the challenge the preachers of our house today to say that when you're delivering the word, not by contriving it, but you need to believe that something will flow out of you that will open up people's hearts. This is the word of the Lord. That it unlocks people's mindsets, that it brings a word to them that reveals their need of God before him. We need more words of knowledge, friends. And I was before the Lord this week and thinking about that, and he, as the Holy Spirit sometimes talks in that very personal way, he says, yeah, right. And it was sort of like, so how do you think that's going to happen? And I understand, friends, that spiritual gifts are grace gifts. That's where the word comes from, charisma gift. It's grace, so it's not a, an earned thing. But I really felt the Spirit of God say to me, if you want more revelation, you've got to spend more time in my presence. Because Psalm 25 verse 14 says that the Lord confides in those that fear him. He's not going to give away the trade secrets, friends, to someone that can be cavalier on the platform. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. He's going to give those words to people he can trust. Who are on best friends terms with him. We need more revelation in the house. If you've come to church on occasions and felt that it was just for you, that as Jeremiah described, it was the hammer breaking rocks in pieces, don't get into a spirit of affront or offense that says, why is God speaking to me like that? There's only one reason. It's because he loves you. He loves you. And whilst you can come to God just as you are, he loves you far too much to let you stay like that. I tell you, friends, I've gone to church sometimes thinking, yeah, it's just going to be a service. God spoke. Not only revelation, but fourthly, there's liberation. Because in verse 12, he said, okay then, I'll not only forgive his sins, but I'll say to him, take up your mat and walk. And in verse 12, it says, the man got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. Liberated from his paralysis to walk back with his friends. Boy, what a conversation that would be. Not four walking, but five. Woo! liberated into all that God had called him to be. We sing a song, and it comes from 2 Corinthians 3.17. And it says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. Liberty, friends, 
in the house of God is an expression that Jesus is in the house. Here's how it expresses itself. Clapping of hands, joyful song, raising of holy hands, dancing of feet, singing praises, joy, laughter, openness, response. They're all expressions of liberty in the house. What pushes back on liberty? Attitude. Sometimes, friends, it's sin. Just simply that you've seen this week, you bring your bondage in, we're all trying to live in liberty. And you think it's hard work, but we're fine. We're fine. And if you've got it wrong this week, put it right before you come. You'll be amazed at the difference it makes. Liberty. I want to say, friends, that the enemy continually contests for freedom in the house. We must not let him win. Where Jesus is, there is freedom. Now, freedom's expressed in different cultures around the world, of course. And some of it would make even our minds boggle. But you get the spirit of what I'm trying to say. We are a little conservative in English. No good somebody sort of, you know, I was talking to David Player once who did a lot of missions work. And David said I had to be very careful. Because after he'd been on missions work for six months, he was ever coming back from context and saying, if you'd been where I would be, you'd get your hands free. And he's blasting the people. We've all been in contexts, you know, where they just have a natural ease towards liberty. It's just incredible. We recognize that by characteristic, we, we tend to be a little bit conservative in Britain. But we must not allow that to push back. As Christian again said this morning, when he led us in worship, to be what God's called us to be. He's called us to praise. British, Australian, African, American. He's called us to lift holy songs. He's called us to raise our hands to God. It will be continually contested for in your life. But the Bible says that whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Why should you be living in bondage when Jesus has called you to freedom? And when Jesus is in the house, friends, he sets people free. And finally, adoration. Because in verse 12, when this chap got healed, they said, whew. They were amazed and they praised God and said, we've never seen anything like this. I wonder if we can believe in Arena Church in this next season, friends, that Jesus would be so present in the house that in 12 months' time, we'd be saying, you know what? We've never seen anything like this before. We've never seen so many people getting saved. We've never seen so many people getting baptized. We've never seen so many people getting healed in the presence of Jesus We've never seen so many prodigals running back to the Lord. We've never seen so many people getting promotion at work. We've never seen so many people stepping into the gifts of the Spirit. We've never seen anything like this before. Friends, if we have that, we'll be lifting our voices to the Lord and singing praise. These words will ring out thousands of times in the next few weeks. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Friends, don't let it just be for a season great carol love singing it but let it be at the very center of your life let adoration continually flow from you because when jesus is in the house i can't think of anything else i want to do than worship the lord i close with a prayer it was written by a wonderful old christian warrior and preacher alan redpath he said these words oh lord grant us a sense of your presence Without it, our purpose faints. Without it, our spirit grows weak.
Without it, we shall make so many mistakes and poor decisions. And above all else, we desire for a sense of your presence. I'm going to talk a little bit practically next week about bringing, but no good bringing anybody to anything if Jesus isn't in the house. And all that God would give us a passion for his presence, that we wouldn't make silly mistakes and poor decisions, and above all else, above all the practicals, above all the organization, above all the preparation, all necessary, we'd have a passion for his presence. It's going to mean obedience, friends. And I tell you, if we're going to pursue the presence of God, it's going to be inconvenient as well on occasions. But all for people all across this Erewash Valley, this M1 corridor, this Nottinghamshire Derbyshire border, to begin to be brought to Arena Church here and in Mansfield. And know that Jesus is in the house. Lord Jesus, in the power of your spirit, you're welcome at Arena. Forgive us for anything that we've ever done in terms of hard attitude or confession or arrogance that has ever pushed you to the door. We say you're welcome. You're not only welcome, you're welcome to the very center of everything that we do. To the center of our worship, of our giving, of our preaching and teaching, of our leading, of our fellowshipping. It's all about you, Lord. And as we encourage the Lord in this season, for every one of us to think about someone who could bring, a workmate, a prodigal, a brother, a sister, an uncle, an auntie, a grandma, a granddad. Perhaps, Lord, we're going to ask them a little bit fearfully because we think the answer is going to be no. And then surprised when they say yes. Lord, we ask that they'll never be disappointed. Because although we're not perfect, although we'll get it wrong, one thing they'll be able to say is that you were in the house. And Arena Church, when we increasingly sense that, I can't think of any greater incentive or reason for us to make a renewed commitment to be a bringer. Let's pray.